Well, welcome. It is good to see you, and if you're a guest this morning, we're especially delighted to have you among us. Today uh, marks the beginning of the most important uh, week for Christians, uh, when we uh, recollect the central story of our faith, the death of Jesus Christ and his uh, resurrection. I want to invite you to stand, if you will, as we read from Matthew chapter 26. Pray with me. Father, be pleased to grant that your spirit would minister this, your gospel to us. It's in Christ's name we ask this. Amen. Amen. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial." Truly I say to you that wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. You may return to your seats. Why this waste? It's a question that comes to us in the tragic situations of life. Uh, You work hard uh, for a company. You've given it everything that you've uh, got, putting in long hours, and you think you have a solid future with them, only to show up one day and to discover you're unemployed. Or a friendship of 20 years that has had uh, many, many shared experiences that's been carefully nurtured, turns sour. It grows cold and distant. And despite repeated attempts to restore it, it fails. Why this waste? You adopt a child and pour on them all the love and encouragement and opportunities that you can give them uh, to have a, a good future. And somewhere in their teens, they decide they hate you. And they make one terrible life choice after another. And you ask, why this waste? These situations and others like them chip away in our lives in a way that leaves us passionless, hopeless, and cynical. 
And we could try to put a good face on it, but in many of those quiet moments, we wonder, why this waste? This is the central question that the story of Jesus raises. It's raised by the disciples themselves as they're at a dinner party. There a woman pours out her heirloom perfume upon Jesus, and they ask, why this waste? It's really a question of worth. What is Jesus worth? And at a deeper level, this question is raised by the whole account that begins with Jesus entering Jerusalem as its king, and he is rejected. And seemingly, his life comes to a tragic end. Now, for many of you here, indeed for many, many people, these stories are familiar, but our understanding of them needs to be deepened. This is a story of intrigue, of irony, and paradox. And if you will let it, it will touch you deeply. It's a story for you and me, no matter what your relationship might be to Christianity. It's a story for those who are serious followers of Christ. And it's a story for those who are mildly curious about Christianity. In our little piece of this larger story, we have three different answers to the question, what is Jesus worth? Answers from the disciples, from Judas and the leaders of the Jewish people, and an unnamed woman, who in other Gospels, we are told, is Mary. The chief priests and rulers want Jesus dead. Why? Well, to understand it, we need to flash back through the events uh, that have happened from the time that Jesus entered uh, the city. It's the Passover feast. Now, this is the highest and holiest of Jewish holidays. It's a very festive time. The population of Jerusalem swells from about a half a million to more than two million people. People come to remember the glorious days when God liberated Israel from slavery in Egypt. And as Jesus enters the city, he does in the manner of an ancient king. And the people hail him. They honor him. For three years, he's gone throughout the countryside, healing, freeing people, teaching them as no one has ever taught. He's a populist leader, a prophet, and hope is rising in the people. And then he goes to the temple. It's the very symbolic center of the universe for a Jew. And he condemns it. He calls it a den of robbers. A robber's den is where robbers go after committing their crimes to relax. It's a place that they feel safe. Jesus' point is the temple is totally corrupt. Instead of challenging evil, it makes evil people feel they are safe from God. And the chief priests are threatened by this. They are the people who were most wed to the status quo. And the leaders try to discredit Jesus before the crowds. They send their best debaters uh, to trap him. Uh, They throw ethical, theological problems at him. And Jesus' wisdom, reasoning, and knowledge of the Scripture stuns them into silence. They look like fools. 
And then before the crowd, Jesus condemns them in seven statements announcing God's judgment on them. They are frauds, they are hypocrites, they are religious uh, showmen who are not what they claim to be. They've corrupted the pure religion of grace revealed to Abraham and Moses and turned it into a legalism that crushes people with rules and oughts and musts that they themselves don't keep. The leaders plot Jesus' death because they see him as a deceiver, and they rightly see him as a threat to their moral authority, to the religion and the society that they've created that rests on it. And he undermines their interpretation of the Bible, and he exposes them as not being true leaders for God's people. Jesus, you see, threatens Israel's existence. Jesus is a threat to the existence of the nation. It's no wonder that they hate him. And they plot carefully. Now, emotions run very high at Passover because it's a celebration of liberation from oppression. And they uh, meet very carefully to plot uh, his end because they do not want to awaken within the people something that would provoke a harsh response from their Roman rulers. Like Socrates, Jesus is a gadfly that political expedience would dictate that life would be better off without him. He's better dead than alive. Judas seeks them out, and undoubtedly he has mixed motives. One of them is certain. Another gospel tells us that he was a thief. Uh, it was not profitable to follow Jesus, and so he decides to profit from his death. To him, Jesus was a failed Messiah. The other reason suggested by his name, Judas Iscariot. Iscariot is not a last name. It is Latin for zealot, uh, and he was part of a movement of freedom fighters uh, who wanted armed resistance to Roman rule. Iscariot may well mean guerrilla or even possibly terrorist. And so Judas joined up with Jesus because he had a deep political uh, agenda. He saw Jesus as the way to achieve uh, freedom for an oppressed land. And as time passed, Judas could actually see how this was going to unfold. He had watched uh, Jesus escalate the conflict with the leaders, and he knew that they would have to get rid of him. Instead of using his popularity uh, to bring about an uprising against the Romans, he knew that he would become a martyr. Judas, the chief priest, and the elders together reach a common understanding and answer the question, why this waste? What is Jesus worth? 30 silver coins. It's the price that in the law of Moses was to be given for the accidental death of a slave. If your ox gored someone's slave, you owed them 30 pieces of silver. In other words, to them, Jesus is worthless. Now, you, too, may perceive Jesus as a threat. Um, he uh, is a threat to the status quo in your life. He might 
in fact, radically change your life. He might put his finger on something that needs to change. Well, he might. But if you reject him, be sure that it's for the right reason. To follow Jesus is not to be crushed by rules or to be loaded up with guilt. Jesus condemns a dehumanizing religion. No, to embrace Jesus and to follow him is to be set free and to know healing and to have light and new life. But be warned from Judas. You cannot use Jesus. He will not be used. He doesn't enter any life and leave it unchanged. He will summon you to leave behind all that's destructive and evil. And he won't make your life easy. Uh, He will bring to you, though, a quality of life you can know in no other way. He will answer the deepest longings of your heart and your highest aspirations. And if you follow him, you will become part of his family and have a place to belong. The disciples are shocked as they move through the last week of Jesus' life. Shocked as Jesus announces that he will be crucified. It was the most awful way to die. A person is utterly dehumanized in the process. Barnyard animals receive a more merciful death. The death that Jesus was to undergo was unthinkable. And for more than a year, he'd warned them of his rejection. Yet they they couldn't hear it, they wouldn't hear it. And they grew anxious as the tension uh, grew in the days leading up to the Passover. He'd awakened hope in them. They'd seen his power, believed God was moving and acting through him, and they watched him heal. Uh, They... He gave hope to the hopeless, power to the powerless. Lives were transformed from despair to joy. Jesus came to liberate. They were right about that. To fulfill everything that the Passover represented. Release from oppression and bondage into a new freedom and future. Release from the deepest of bondages first. The scriptures teach that the deepest bondage and oppression that we can know is from sin. It's from our rejection of God's purposes and design for our uh, lives. Choosing instead our own way, our own designs, our own purposes. They saw Jesus ramp up the conflict with these leaders as he entered Jerusalem speaking unwelcome truth to power, and he was making enemies. When the woman pours out the perfume on Jesus' feet, they react. Why this waste? They understand the duty of giving to the poor, but this is excessive. This is wasteful. be like leaving a $1,000 tip at Denny's. After all, they're a nonprofit. They can barely make their bills on a daily basis. They don't know what Jesus is really worth. They don't know what he's worth. 
And their reactions are ours too, aren't they? We're shocked that a great man full of goodness must die for us. The very idea that someone should have to be betrayed and rejected and humiliated and shamed and die one of the most cruel, degrading deaths ever invented in human history, that we might be restored to a right relationship with God. Well, it's offensive. We're shocked. Am I really that bad? That, that can't possibly be true. Sure, I'm flawed. I'm imperfect. I'll admit I've let a few things uh, slip. But you've got to be kidding me. You're trying to manipulate me. The gospel announces that the crucifixion is the measure of what's wrong with us. It's what's necessary to heal our brokenness. Jesus takes what we deserve, that we might be granted full forgiveness. He takes our shame to heal our guilt and to empower us to live the life that God intends. Mary fills the room with the fragrance of a perfume, a costly perfume worth a year's wages. She answers the question, what is Jesus worth with her gift? He is worth everything that I have. Why does she value him so? Well, this is the Mary whose brother Lazarus was raised from the dead. She sees more deeply than the others. She knows that he's the Messiah that he's the resurrection and the life. And she's put together all the pieces of the puzzle. She understands what Jesus said, that what his death would accomplish, and that he would be raised to life. This story puts the question to you and I who hear it. Who was right, Mary or Judas? Is he worthless or is he priceless? Well, it all depends on who Jesus is. Jesus says, Mary has done a beautiful thing to me and will be remembered. Is Jesus a tragic figure? Well, he is if he was wrong about his identity. He said that he came down from heaven, that he is God's son. He has a unique relationship with God the Father, that he will judge all who have ever uh, lived, that he is the bread that satisfies, that gives uh, life, that he, as the good shepherd, has come to seek and to save what is lost that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And it is not possible to have a relationship with the true God apart from him. If he was not vindicated by his resurrection, then his life was a lie, his teaching a deception, and his death meaningless, a waste. He is none of the things that he claims. Matthew tells us the story in such a way 
to show us that Jesus chooses the cross. He is the master of his own fate. He chooses the time and the place when he will relinquish his life. He will die, be buried, and raised to life to effect reconciliation for us with God, to unleash healing and restoration that will bring healing that's both cosmic and personal. Jesus embraces the Father's will. And Matthew puts the question to you, will you turn from trusting yourself? Will you turn from trusting your own efforts to make sense of your life? Will you turn uh, from your plan to fix what's wrong in the brokenness of this world to what he says is broken and what he says is the remedy? Will you turn and trust what he has done and follow him wholeheartedly? If you haven't done that, what stands in your way when doing that today? You who are here who are Christ followers, do you see that Jesus, uh, the judge of the universe, the king, the all-glorious son of man is about to be judged in our place. That's what we recollect in this week. He is worth everything. Everything that you and I have. His suffering brings meaning to our suffering and the certain hope that our suffering will end. Uh, He is able to redeem all that's tragic and broken in our lives, the things that we can't make sense of. And do you see that what he says is true of Mary is true for you as well? That anything done for Jesus is valued by him, is treasured by him, will be remembered by him as beautiful and rewarded by him even an act as small as offering a cup of water. Mary's lavish anointing, her pouring out perfume worth a year's wages is a beautiful thing. She anticipates the beauty that is going to come as Jesus dies. The beauty that comes as a result of his death, a death that brings the beauty of new In Christ's death, those who trust in him, they've been united with him in his death and spiritually undergo death to all that's in them that's alive and hostile to God. And in his resurrection, because faith unites us to him, we ourselves are raised to new life. Are you turning? from the things that are dead, dear Christian, to the things that are alive. Will you come this morning and once again fully put your trust in him? Do you recognize the death in your life, the shame, the guilt, the powerlessness? You have but to call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. Call upon the name of Jesus and tell him, I own what you say about me.
and I will follow you, and you will have life. Let's pray. Most gracious God, speak to us. Press these words into us. Elicit in us a genuine response. And be pleased, O Father, to open our eyes to see Christ, to respond with faith and joy and obedience, claiming him as the one who is utterly priceless. It's in his name we pray. Amen.